I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Need a smart way to consolidate your debt? At LendingTree.com, banks compete, and you choose the loan that's right for you. When banks compete, you win at LendingTree.com. Yeah, I know you've seen that already just a few weeks ago, but I could watch that commercial over and over again. <laughs> that look of helplessness with that pasted-on grin of like, I am so beyond help. I don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. A couple of the things I have heard since I started this series on financial management, for lack of, I guess, better way uh, to put it, have been surprising to me. And it takes, it takes a good bit to surprise me after 30 years plus in ministry. Um, and I'm not going to go into detail because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, and I knew this was a vital issue. I knew even before I knew that it was a vital issue because it's a vital issue to the Lord Jesus. If you've been around for, this is now the sixth part of this, and hopefully next week I will be finishing this, that if you've been around for the rest of it, you know that I have mentioned almost each time that surprisingly Jesus speaks about money and things more often than any other subject that he speaks on, including the biggies, heaven, hell, sin, salvation, grace, mercy, all of that. And that's because he is God and he knows everything. And even though he lived thousands of years ago, he knew exactly the heart of each one of us. He knew where the people would be of his day. He knew where we would be in 2017. And he knows where we will be in 2057 if we're even around then. And I mean that figuratively speaking as a population of an earth that is inhabited. I hope we are not. I certainly don't plan to be here. <laughs> oh, yeah, the dastardly despair of deadly debt. Again, I've said it, I think, every week, and I need to, that if you are new to this church, I am keenly sensitive to the unfortunately all-too-common uh, assumptions that, you know, churches, first and foremost, are just always oh, after your money, always oh, after your pocketbook. Oh, let's take an offering. We had one offering. Let's take another offering. And then we got a special offering to complement the other offering that we had with the offering and do this. And then you hear the next canon two weeks later, and it just goes on and on. It's like, is the church really about anything other than wanting our money? I get that. I really do. And that's why this is only the third time I have spoken on this subject in 27 years of being here. The last time before this was 10 years ago. So can't exactly appropriately accuse this church or me of pounding endlessly on financial management. And it's a mixed, I hate the word thing, it's, but it's a mixed thing for me because on the one hand, through Barbara and my life experience with basically not knowing any better when we entered into marriage, 
We became Christians very shortly after we were married. And so we got on the road like immediately on the way God said to do things, meaning we didn't have these deep, deep holes in which we had to dig out first to get up to ground zero for God's wisdom and counsel to make sense or at least to be a bit easier. And we have seen through our own financial struggles, and I have to put that in quotes because I don't mean we've been like, oh, gosh, what's, oh, man, you know, where are we going to get the, uh, you know, more beans, you know, for the kids next week? Where are we going to get milk, you know, for the babies? None of that. We've never experienced that. We have lived in poverty by definition, according to the government. You couldn't prove that by my children. You couldn't prove that by me. And that's because God is absolutely faithful to what we've been talking about over several weeks when he says, honor me with the tithes and offerings and put me to the test and see if I will not open for you the storehouse of heaven. So this is a continuation of we had a little hiatus last week with Baptism Sunday, the conclusion to the part on uh, deadly debt, which I began two weeks ago. All of these are available at our website in various modes and fashions, so you really have no excuse for uh, not listening to them. And again, this is for your benefit. This is for your benefit and your quality of life, which is why Jesus said so much about the issue as he did. He wants all of us to get the very most out of what we have here and now and out of life. It has enough challenges that really are beyond our control than to add to it with things that are in our control and we've let get out of control. So by way of a very brief kind of recap of a couple of weeks ago, just to give flow because everything ties together in the way I preach, in 1962, average America was spending 60 cents of every dollar that they brought home. In, well, today... We now spend a dollar thirty for every dollar that we bring home. And you don't have to be a mathematical wizard to realize uh, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't, as many people can attest, although they are struggling to make it work. And because of the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, we have plenty of people out there who, in the guise of doing good things, are making it very easy to get people even deeper and deeper and deeper into those holes that God's counsel would want to bring us out of. So from last uh, two weeks ago, again, very quickly about debt, four things that I already covered, so I'll only mention them briefly. You can get the fuller story online. Ask yourself, before you buy something, is it a need or is it a want? Now, the heart is more deceitful above all else and is desperately corrupt, so we know how good we are at lying to ourselves. And Well, of course it's a need. I mean, who watches a 32-inch flat screen anymore? <laughs> We've got 72-inch clearance on that wall. I mean, think of what we can do. Love these. Think of what we could do for Jesus if we had a 70-inch screen up there and we could have all the guys over for Sunday football, man, and we could just bond and we could... Yeah, right. The people that I've known that I've asked, so how'd that work out for you? Yeah. Yeah, well, got the flat screen. And what about the ministry for Jesus? Yeah, not so much. My God shall supply all your needs. 
according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God has committed himself to taking care of needs, not wants. Number two, does it make economic sense? I use the example of buying a large appliance like a new refrigerator. Just took a a random figure of $1,500, which was the purchase price, but buying it like many people do because they have to, buying it with their credit card and carrying it out and making the minimum payments, which they have to do because that's the only way they can keep their ship afloat, sort of, barely, will end up costing $2,273 instead of $1,500 due to interest charges on that payment. That's not good economic sense. Number three, do my spouse and I have unity about this purchase. (laughs) Gentlemen, we like to surprise our wives, don't we? And I don't mean the, oh, honey, what a beautiful new bracelet you bought me. No, I'm talking about the surprise of, honey, what is the big red truck with plow in our driveway? Oh, yeah, about that. Funny thing, you know how I've always wanted to plow snow? You've never plowed snow in your life. Yeah, that's exactly it, but I'd like to try as a hobby. The truth is, I heard this many years ago. I have every reason to believe it, just at least experientially, is that women make far more purchases than men. But hang on, women. Hang on, hang on. The purchases that women make... Okay, are like a $12 blouse at TJ Maxx, okay, an $8 whatever, a $2 thing at Goodwill, no charge for the odor. <laughs> Make all kinds of frequent purchases like that. Guys don't do that. No, what guys do do, though, <laughs> and gets them in doo-doo, is they go out maybe once, you know, every several months, maybe once a half a year, once whatever, and they come home with a new $4,500 sled. That's called a snowmobile. You're like, sled? Wow. Those American flyers have really gone up over the years. Now, guys make much less expenditures, but what they spend on is huge compared to the wives. Do you even bother checking with each other about a substantial purchase? No, I'll just surprise her. Guys, no, that's not a good surprise, okay? Number four, do I have the spiritual freedom or the spiritual peace of mind to borrow this amount at this time? And here's what I mean by that, is that you may be, let's say even, in our situation, being debt-free, okay, having the means to go out and make some kind of a significant expenditure and pay for it outright. Okay, you have the ability to do that. You're not borrowing or anything else. You know, you're faithful on your tithes and your offerings and your gifts and all of that. But do you ever stop for a second even to say, Lord, you know, should I do this right now? I mean, or at all? I know I can, but just because I can doesn't mean I should. I may not even start, but do you even, see, is that even within the frame of your thought processes concerning 
such things. There have been times, and I wish I could give you a very specific example. I can't, but I know there have been times when I thought about, you know what, I, I've always thought about getting that or having that or whatever, and now, you know, we're debt-free, man, we got the money. I could do that. I think I will. And then you get that little burp, burp, you know, the good guy, bad guy. Remember those cartoons with the little demon and the little angel? Just didn't have, you know, it's like, nah, nah, you don't need that. It's not going to bring you whatever it is you think it's going to bring you. And you're like, yeah, whatever, but I can, I, it's, what, what difference does it make? You know, I got it. I got the money. I can do it. Yeah, just not now. Okay, not now. Maybe later, maybe not. And it's gone both ways. Is that even within the thought process, do you have that spiritual freedom or peace of mind to borrow at this particular time? Or even to spend, not just to borrow. All right, new material. What need, not want, what need is being met with this loan that cannot be met any other way? And by you know, loans, credit cards are loans. You, you, do, you do get that, right? You don't just have to go to a bank or a credit union to get a loan. Every time you plop down your credit card, you are borrowing money. Now, if you're slick and you're disciplined, you will do what we have done since we learned about Discover Card a bazillion years ago, is that we put everything we can on our Discover Card and then pay it off every month. And the net of that is, is that Discover Financial Services is paying us hundreds of dollars a year in cash back whatever's from all your purchases to use their card. I call that pretty smart. And the one year, and I don't know why they did this, one year out of nowhere, all of a sudden they started charging us. They said, well, it's going to cost you $12 a year. I mean, 12 bucks a year, right? And we'd get $200, $300 a year back from them. And still, it still is kind of a no-brainer, but with me it was principal. And I said, you're charging us? I don't think so. Dump their card. The next year, and from there on out, we've never ever got an attempt to make a charge for us for their card. You see, well, they're not making any money off of you. What? You don't understand how that all works. Yes, they are making roughly 3% from the merchant when I use my card. They're making boatloads off of the person who pays off their credit, but not the, the, the Titanic side. shouldn't use that. That's a bad illustration. A huge luxury cruiser kind of uh, profit on those of you who are carrying out your payments month after month. By the way, speaking of another, we, use, we have basically two credit cards that we use. Okay, I'm just trying to give you helpful advice here. Discover card for basically everything in this life, and we use a visa for everything on the Internet, basically. And that's just for security reasons. You know, Instead of having all these, these different credit cards out there and then your account gets hacked, we only got to worry about one card. Okay. So we do that, and we use the L.L. Bean card. Why? Because we get bean bucks, as I call them, back. So we happen to be at L.L. Bean Friday night, just browsing, I was looking for a jacket, which I didn't find, but I bought three twelve dollars or something in the fly fishing department. It was a need to feed the family. <laughs> and I said, Would you just check and see if we've if we have any and he goes, Yeah, you've got at least seven. 
that's 70 bucks, okay, in bean bucks. And he goes, that's all I can see because that's all it shows at one time on the computer. You want me to go further? I said, no, that'll cover the $12. That's good. Okay. Thank you, L.L. Bean, for giving me my fly fishing materials. Easy credit, as we have today, robs us, and it robs God as well. So let me explain. Because of easy credit, when there is a genuine need, you know, the washer dies or something, or the refrigerator is, you know, spilling its water out onto the floor, and you've already had it repaired a couple of times, it would be not cost-efficient to get it repaired, especially today. And so you need to get a refrigerator and all that, or maybe it's not something that it's that immediate, or maybe it is. But anyway, what happens is because easy credit, we just go, huh, we got a need, boom, lay it down, bang, we got the new whatever it is. Nothing necessarily inherently wrong about that. But because of the easy credit that we have today, God I, I picture God sometimes there with this, he's, you know, he's got it. He knew what was going to happen. And he's got it somehow figured out and whatever, and he's ready to bless you with it. And instead you go, boom! And he goes, oh, well, you took care of that need all by yourself. Do you ever think in those terms? And that's real. I absolutely believe it's real. And again, both anecdotally, but also from scriptural principle God's about to show his amazing love to us and we short circuit it because we got easy credit why not give him a chance to provide something that is an honest to goodness need well how would he do that from our experience it might be with a totally unexpected cash windfall from our experience, it might be somebody says, hey, I happen to have a, you guys want, yes. Remember several weeks ago when I talked about we're looking for another treadmill, right? Not to be a clothes dryer, you know, a hanger of clothes on your treadmill. Um, because ours actually died from use and everything. And what, I don't know, 10 days later or so, we got a phone call. I got a treadmill. You just want to get, get it out of my house, you know, <laughs> one of those deals. Now, that one didn't work out. Okay, but it's like, hey, I'm going to give God a chance to, to do something else here. I'm not going out and buying a new treadmill. I'll, exercise, I'll use, you know, Craigslist and, uh, and, or eBay or is Uncle Henry's even around still? Okay, that used to be the, you know, that, uh, you get that Bible every Thursday, right, called Uncle Henry's. But things have changed with the Internet and all of that. Give God a chance to do something. Think about how God intervened miraculously throughout history concerning his own children, concerning his people of whom we are now today. Think about all the things that they went through out in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 29, I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. And what happened to you out there with no means? Your clothes did not wear out on you. That wasn't because they were so fabulously made. It was because I made sure they didn't wear out. And the sandals on your feet, the same thing. When they were hungry, what did he do? All kinds of things at varying points. 
One time he changed the winds and he brought a big flock of birds in and birds were flopping around all over the ground. They just went out and picked it up and they had roast whatever. <laughs> it was a foul dinner. Well, oh, when they were thirsty, what'd he do? It depended on the situation. Sometimes he brought water right up out of the ground. Sometimes he made water that was otherwise poisonous. He made it non-poisonous. God provided for his people. And then again, when they were hungry, he did something really extraordinary. Because you know, people are so warped, right? We are. And like the day that the birds came in, I can just hear some of the people of Israel going, wow, was that ever lucky? We got this fluky zephyr to come in, and there happened to be this fluky flock of birds that couldn't handle it, and they're now bouncing around on the ground for to pick us up. Oh, whoo! I knew when I got up this morning and I was rubbing my rabbit's foot, it was going to be a good day. It's like, you knuckleheads. But what do you do with manna? Oh, yeah, man. You remember manna? The Hebrew it means, what's this here stuff? That's what manna means in Hebrew. It's like, what is it? And, you know, after a while, it was getting a little old. They had to, somebody came up with some spicy sauce to put on it, and they called it, what's this here sauce? <laughs> okay. It's okay, I'll be around all week. Try the veal. It's all right. Sometimes I tickle myself. But the manna, remember the manna, I mean, literally, it means what is it? And they were picking it up, and it, it says it's white as hoarfrost. I don't know what white as hoarfrost is. Hoarfrost, I don't know what that is. But it was white and flaky, and I'm sure gluten-free. Hmm? Okay. And they picked it up, and they started eating it. You know, maybe, maybe there was a Mikey in the bunch, right? Remember Mikey? Huh? Yeah, Mikey, he hates everything. Give it to Mikey. Hey, Mikey, he likes it. All right. Mikey loved the manna. But we have so many easy ways of shortcutting God wanting to do something amazing for us. So again, now take yourselves back to Jesus at the wedding of Cana. Contemporize it, right? Whew, we, need, we need wine at this wedding. Holy cow. What are we going to do, Jesus? No problem. Don't worry about it, Jesus. I've already made the call. I put a couple of cases on my MasterCard. They're going to be here in about a half hour. It's the way my head works. Sometimes I really think that if we were in ancient Israel, in today's economy, that we'd be trading in our five-year-old chariot that we just paid for, to take another loan on a new or newer chariot when God was already prepping that old chariot to go another six years. But never know. And more debt is incurred. And we are robbed and God is robbed of wanting to do something wonderful and of increasing his glory through your story. Sometimes it's just too easy to provide for ourselves. When we move to Atlanta, the story is in my book, The Proper Pursuit of Prosperity. We have huge, huge, I mean dollar-wise, if you've read the book, 
examples of God's bizarre, lavish provision. But the little bitty ones honestly get me as much as those big ones. Because the big ones were so impossible, the, you, you, weren't even, you, you weren't even thinking about it. Just isn't going to happen. But it does. But the little things, it's like, God's got a lot more things to be concerned about than the fact that we're getting down to just a couple of drinking, everyday drinking glasses. Really? You bother the creator of the universe for drinking glasses? No, not me. But I didn't know my wife was. We had just moved into Atlanta, into an apartment, a townhouse complex. Barb's praying about drinking glasses. And a woman comes over with a little housewarming gift from next door to welcome us into our little block of of townhouses. And she gives Barb a brand new set of six Libby drinking glasses. Wow, what a coincidence! Really? Come on. As far as I'm concerned, parting the Red Sea, those drinking glasses, there is no difference. But you know what? We could have, and we were that, in those days, we actually had a budget, and our budget was in envelopes that had penciled labels on them, and that money was for those things. And you could rob Peter to pay Paul, but when the money was gone, the money was gone. God always took care of everything, and we could have easily gone out, I'm sure, and spent a couple of bucks for drinking glasses. But instead, Barb just prayed about it. If it's a need, we'll have it. I guess it was a need. Thank you, Lord. And you see, the thing is, who needs Jehovah Jireh, as we say, Adonai Yireh, the Lord who provides, the God who is provision, who needs him? When we have all this readily accessible credit, and ways of getting things for us without waiting, without waiting for God to work, without praying, without any of that. Who needs Jehovah Jireh? And then my head took me to the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now think for a moment of Abraham being told by God to take his son and take him up to the mountain and offer Isaac his son up as a sacrifice. And Isaac's like, as the trip goes on, uh, Dad, <laughs> we're going up here for a sacrifice, but we don't have a sacrifice. <laughs> Abraham, uh, <clears throat> yeah, about that, son. <laughs> the Lord will provide. Abraham went up fully ready to offer his own son. Think of the spiritual significance of that whole historical narrative. Because obviously the whole picture is about God's provision of the sacrificial lamb who once for all time would be offered up for everyone. Think about it now in our day. Yeah, listen, is this lambs are us? Okay, um, I need to go up here just about as quick as you can get it. All right, yeah, now here's the specifications. How soon? Day and a half. It'll have to work. Good. Uh, By the way, yeah, right, you've got my... Oh, really? 
my card's that popular. You have it on file. Yeah, we do use it quite a bit, don't we? Okay, thanks. Bye. Don't worry, son. I've got it all taken care of. God doesn't need to provide a ram. Now, if this is ridiculous, I understand. But think about the change of the whole story and what humanity is deprived of just in that one little example by us jumping ahead of God and taking care of a need without even giving him a chance to come through. Credit card debt is robbing God's people of their vitality in so many different ways and, honestly, is taking them out of God's will for their lives, being involved in trying to keep the ship afloat instead of trying to be involved where, where and when and how God wants them to be involved just in life. All right, shifting gears a little bit now. Six steps to freedom from credit card debt. Some of these, admittedly, are pretty radical. But some of you need radical. Number one, paying more than the minimum, meaning on your monthly bill. You know, you always get that down there at the bottom. shows you, here's your minimum payment. Paying more than the monthly Minimum. Now, that may seem totally logical, and you're already probably thinking, uh, yeah, I can't afford to. Yeah, okay, just stay with me. Paying only the minimum, usually 4% of the outstanding balance, only prolongs the agony. And besides that, it's precisely what the banks want you to do. Okay, you do understand that all those credit card offers that you get in the mail all the time, all those, you're pre-approved for three and a half trillion dollars. Okay, it's not because they're your friend. The longer you take to repay the charges, the more interest they make and the less cash you have in your pocket. Duh. So do a little biting of the bullet and pay as much as you can each month. If your minimum payment is $60 a month, commit yourself to paying $120. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand, Pastor. Look, examine your normal expenses. I absolutely, positively guarantee that you can find the money to put more on your minimum payment You can find the money to do it with what I will call right now some low-impact changes. you got to change something. What are some of those lower-impact changes? You would probably be surprised how much money Americans at large spend on lunch every week. Because they're going out to lunch. And by going out means doesn't mean necessarily going to a restaurant and sitting down. It means going out and buying lunch or having it called in or whatever it is. So stop it. <laughs> in the words of Bob Newhart and his great counseling method, just stop it. Yeah, but I get it. No, stop it. Okay, you can do that. Bring it from home instead. 
Now, now I know I get into meddling here. Pass on the Duncan. How many people stop at Duncan or McDonald's? Or, hey, wait a minute. Look, I'm up here. You're down there, okay? <laughs> Starbucks was next. See, I said, actually, when I first did this, I put like, you know how they do in restaurants? They put $1 sign for a, you know, inexpensive restaurant, $2 signs for more, and then three for an expensive restaurant. I was thinking, Duncan, yeah, one little thing on how much money you'd save. <laughs> Starbucks, definitely $2 signs for how much money you save. Think about how much money you spend on the weekly, just coffee. At Starbucks, you could almost finance a new car. <laughs> but I can quit any time I want. <laughs> I'm thinking about forming a Starbucks Anon. <laughs> and your magazine subscriptions. Unless you are a professional and it is part of, you know, a, uh, like a... a for years, and I still do, I, I kind of keep my registration up with the American Society of Clinical Pathology for Medical Technology, <laughs> just in case. You never know. And with that, you used to get a magazine as part of your mandatory fee for that annual renewal and all that. Then they stopped, though, including the magazine. Now the magazine is separate. So I stopped getting the magazine. I would like to have gotten it, but I don't need it yet. <laughs> and stop your newspaper because you know what the truth is? You hardly ever read it anyway. You'd be surprised the money that's there to save. Do you ever have garage sales? Well, have one. But commit yourself that every penny of the proceeds from your garage sale is going to go on to your next credit card payment. Instead of, we made $180. I already have it spent three times over. It's the American way. Now, is, is this fun? No, no. But it sure beats living hand to mouth and dreading opening the envelopes every month. Number two, snowball. I'll define that in a minute or describe it. Snowball your debt payments. All right, here's kind of how that works. Take a look at all your credit cards and pay particular attention to the one with the lowest with the lowest interest rate. Assuming you have room on it, meaning to put more debt on there, take your credit card with the highest interest rate and transfer the balance over to your lowest one. Many credit cards will let you to do that. Let you do that. Not all of them will. But at least find out. Trade in, you know, your 18% interest rate credit debt for 12%. Now, here's the key to snowballing. When you have paid off the one card, don't go, woo, happy dance. Now I've got what? I've got more discretionary money to spend. No. Keep paying the same amount you were paying, but now put all that payment onto your next credit card. You see? You're like, boy, you are daydreaming. Unfortunately, you know what? I know that. Because discipline is not an overriding characteristic of Americans in any, in any venue. 
We're not a disciplined people for the most part. So pay at least the minimum amounts. By the way, while you're doing that, you've got to pay the minimum amounts on all the rest of your cards except that one that you're going to put more on and more on until you get it paid for. Then you're going to take, as I said, the majority of your debt repayments into that one credit card and pay it off quickly as possible. When the balance on that card reaches zero, then you move all of what you were paying to your next cards. So as your debt decreases, the amount of money you have to attack them increases. And so your payments snowball until all of your debt is pummeled. Now, when's the last time you examined your credit cards closely? Meaning, how many of you even know what you're being charged for interest? That's a good place to start. Because they do vary, obviously. Also read the fine print. Will the interest rate after their introductory, which is usually a 12-month period, you know, it goes from 6% to 96%. I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean. Now, this next step seems almost counterintuitive. That means what? No, that's, that doesn't even sound like good Good, uh, good advice. Hang on. Cash out. Now, there's an assumption being made here. Cash out your savings account to put on your debt. But you do realize that 60% of Americans do not have any savings. Any. 60% have none. And you know what? Understanding credit card debt and everything, I totally understand that. I believe it. No, we need it. You don't understand. We need every penny we got just to keep the creditors from banging on the door. Cash out your savings account and even your investments. Hang on. And use the proceeds towards your debt repayment. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. I understand that. But sometimes it's just foolish financially, economically not to. Even when the debt interest is 12%, okay, which is what a typical credit card is, if you've got halfway decent credit and you've been making your minimum payments or what have you, is around 12%. Okay? Now, in order to, get, in order to, to uh, uh, recoup that 12%, your investments that you are so loath to cash in to pay off your, your 12% debt would have to be netting you 18% in order to figure in what you lose from federal taxes and state taxes and all that so that there's a, a you know, you're trying to get an apples to apples correlation. Now, how many of you have investments that are bringing in 18% a year? If you have any, please email me. I'm really interested. Okay? So again, see, we keep money in savings, which is, that's a no-brainer, you know, at what, 0.8, maybe 0.5%. But an investment that's making 7% is pretty good today, I think. I'm kind of ignorant in these areas. 7%, well, no, we're going to leave that there. It's making 7%. But you're losing 12% on a month on your credit card. You see? 
Mathematics, it's, sometimes it's, it's just kind of there. Number four, borrow against your life insurance. Now, to do that, you have to have the right kind of life insurance. Term insurance, you can't do that with. Okay, but whole life, and again, I'm even more in my area of ignorance with these things. But there are life insurance policies that over the years gain what's called a cash value. And you can actually borrow your cash value or part of it, whatever, however that works. Okay, you can borrow that. And again, you've got to think of how much money is going into the trash can on your credit card debt or your other debts that's way higher than anything you would be making anywhere else along the way. You're losing money. And the interest rate on like life insurance is usually well below commercial rates. Just don't forget to repay that loan <laughs> for obvious reasons. Number five, we'll wrap up here. Get a home equity loan. Do you have any principal accumulated in your home? You can borrow usually up to about half of it on a home equity loan. And home equity loans right now, I think, are running around 5%, give or take. So you're taking money out of that. You're putting it to get rid of a 12% credit card debt or whatever kind of debt. You see, financially, that just makes all the sense in the world. And I think what I'll do because of the time, because there are some caveats and some, very, some really good cautions about doing each of these things that I'll uh, talk about in more detail next week. And again, I do plan to end this next week, so we shall see what happens. Just remember this. This is all about you. God doesn't need your money. But he has been very strict and very clear about what he wants, what he demands, and what he requires of his people because he wants us to get the fullness of life here and now and to not go through life biting biting our fingernails, wondering what's going to break next and is going to sink the ship once and for all. When we do it his way, there is no better way doesn't mean it's easy, but it can be done by his grace and his supernatural empowering. Let me have you stand. Father in heaven, I do pray, Lord, I have no reason to think that there aren't a lot of people here at Faith who don't fit into many of these categories concerning debt. And so I pray, oh God, that you would help them to really see the bigger picture. And you would help them and give them the, 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 the sheer discipline to do the things they need to do to get out under this oppressive sword of Damocles hanging over their heads. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us about things which are uncomfortable, but for our good. In your name, amen.